0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash Be Here Now.
1: Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eHearNowNetwork.com forward slash David. It's become a bit of a tradition that we launch our CSM weekends with a special guest um, who, in some sense, manifests the combo platter that we're attempting to uh, cultivate here which is the relationship between our creative expression, our spiritual practice and cultivation, and uh, our livelihood. And of course, if you study deeply any spiritual tradition, at some point, they tell you, you must return to the world uh, and and manifest in a way that is going to be Uh, productive and beneficial for you and for others. Because otherwise you can imagine if it's, if our spiritual practice just led us to an isolated cocoon-like world of special special surroundings, it it might be interesting to think, well, how are we actually fulfilling our vows? And uh, so on the cover of my book, I actually have people coming down from the monastery and it's, it feels like that kind of time to me, it, that that whoever has these wisdom traditions and these uh, teachings is uh, feeling an extra call to to bring them into the, as sometimes we say in, in Tibetan tradition, into the marketplace. It doesn't mean the crass kind of business world, but the actual interaction and intersection of people and society. So our vision is pretty clear in that regard in terms of what we're um, trying to um, explore together and bring to fruition together. And in the service of that particular view, we created a platform called Dharma Moon. And this program is being sponsored by Dharma Moon in conjunction with Tibet House. And Dharma Moon is, uh, in a sense, for me, the fruition really of my entire life. Uh, of all the elements of life coming together in an in a integrated way. And um, trying to share that going forward, I definitely have a sense of finite time. Um, I've told my staff and team that uh, five years I'm going into the cloud, but I haven't specified which cloud. <laughs> It might just be, uh, you know, further uh, practice or retreat. It might be I am no longer in this particular world. Um, But the attempt is going to be to dump, to download, to offload, in a sense, my DNA or whatever you want to call it, um, impressions and pass them through really to the next generation. Um, And then one after that. So we have to see, you know, we don't really know how long we get to live in this world. Even if you think, well, I'm young, I'm going to live forever. Um, time presses on us like a kind of a lever and it becomes more obvious, I guess, if you've been a Buddhist for 50 years, like I have, it becomes impermanence becomes obvious and um, unavoidable. But when we study, Uh, Buddhism the notion of impermanence is drilled in from the if you're a Lama you're hearing it at the age of five years old life is short and impermanent and so you could have a couple of different reactions to that one is panic Uh, one is um, uh, maybe you accelerate too much you try to get too much done you don't really appreciate what you have but on an ideal day, it gives us a, a good healthy sense of pace and it also helps us to release things that are obstructive to us and to others and to cultivate goodness and um, compassion and wisdom. So that's that's the kind of arch, the arc that we're under with Dharma Moon. And I've been reaching out to like-minded people of um, of good conscience and good heart, wherever they are, whatever stage they're at. We have a general map of sort of becoming an aspirant. You, you, you have some clarity about wanting to aspire to a particular vision for your life, and we'll talk about that tonight and moving through to the stage of a ma- manifester. And uh, that's really the journey um, that we're articulating. So we often have special guests who to me represent uh, you know friends and uh, colleagues who who have explored in their own way uh, this particular journey. So with that in mind, I'd like to introduce my dear friend, Patty Gift. And I'd like to just say a few words and then just turn the mic over to her for a minute. But um, I- I'm going to get a, a little beklempt, as they say. I don't know if you all know what that means. But, you know, Patty is a special friend. And she's somebody I feel like our minds are very connected And we communicate really easily about it on a different range of topics, and um, definitely she's been a factor. She was working at One Spirit when when I started putting out my first kind of uh, Dharma media stuff, and so she was the uh, enabler of that. And these days, she for quite a while she's been working at Hay House, which is probably the premier Dharma publishing house in the world of people who are trying to uh, put well-being and, um, uh, you know, spiritual guidance out into the world. So she's the uh, a key, a key operative there. And um, so as in, in that role, she's worked with a lot of very w- well-known authors and she's edited them and she's also um, coaxed them into presenting something and help them to present something. And, uh, so she's played a very special role in terms of this uh, community. A lot of a lot of writers that you'll be very familiar with, and additionally, Patti is a sangha member. She's one of the Buddhist sanghas. Uh, it's a close community. It's um, she studies with um, Tenzin Wanjel Rinpoche, who is a wonderful Tibetan Lama, uh, who I I knew uh of for years and i recommend his books to to all of our students people read you can tell rinpoche that we read his books at dharma moon and uh you know it's sort of um, top shelf you know high quality uh teaching and so she's um, been studying with him for many years at this point so our conversation will range from talking about uh creativity and then also kind of the the everyday business world, her vision for her life and how, how, that's, how that's cooking and, um, and um, also maybe just some good Dharma chat and we'll see what happens. We'll cover the waterfront, but Patty, welcome very much on behalf of Dharma Moon and Tibet House. Welcome to you. And um, uh, if you have a few opening remarks, you just can dive in.
2: Okay. Thank you, David. Um, I just want to say it's so nice to be here with all of you. I I scrolled through and looked at the various screens and um, definitely some old faces and lots of new ones, but it just feels like a really warm community. So I'm looking forward to this evening.
1: So um, we will, the form tonight will be that we'll um, talk a little bit, meditate a little bit, um, you know, it's a funny thing if you're a Buddhist sitting still is our version of amazing grace. You know how Christians get together and sing amazing grace. We get together as Buddhists, we sit still, <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> That's kind of our group anthem is silence, stillness and spaciousness, which is what Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche talks about the three pills. I think the three pills, silence, stillness and spaciousness. So, uh, maybe we could just start with a little practice together and kind tune of our, tune our minds. And I'm just going to give a little bit of instruction. Of course, there are many different ways to meditate, and they all um, have their view and their efficacy. Um, in this case, we're doing a variation of what we call mindfulness meditation, which has a center column of focusing our attention in a particular way, uh, usually on the breath. And uh, could be other things, though. And this is technically called shamatha in uh, the uh, Buddhist tradition, and it means setting the mind and abiding in a particular way with one focus. And then there is also a layer of uh, what we call vipassana, or just simply being aware of what's arising in that in that focused space—thoughts, sensations, feelings—and just letting them come and go, but with the notion of um, unbiased and unjudgmental, non-judgmental awareness. So it has those two pieces to it. If you only do shamatha meditation, you're gonna kind of go into a trance-like focus or you're just gonna be spaced out. Those are the only two options there. But in this case, you can just let the technique come and go a little bit um, and use it as an anchor. So when you wander, your mind wanders, you can come back to the breath as an anchor. And then, as you notice, you know, mental events, emotions, just try to take the view that they're coming and going, Um, maybe a little bit like an airport. Planes are landing, planes are taking off, but we don't have to get on every plane. You know, that's the thing. You you, you stay at the airport, which is the observing post. So sometimes we call this cultivating the abstract watcher or witness mind, um, which is a much more transparent kind of mind than the one that's thoroughly engaged and kind of commenting on everything that happens like the Muppets in the balcony, you know, Oh, she's getting in trouble now, you know? (laughs) So try to just have a very light touch, uh, of mindfulness. Most people grip this too hard, you know? Um, and, um, it's very hard to maintain awareness if you're really hyper-focused, um, and, the idea is a light touch of focus on the breath and then a sort of un, unbiased awareness of just what's, what's coming through in your mind and experience. So the first step, of course, most of you know this already and have been to our workshops and so forth, is just taking your seat. And that everybody can just take a good seat, either sitting uh, cross-legged uh, on a cushion on the floor, or you can sit in a chair with your legs flat on the floor about shoulder width apart. And you can also kneel if that's more comfortable for you on a cushion. And then you can just rest your hands down, palms down on your knees, right? So you, you just, uh, this is called uh, um, resting the mind mudra or gesture. You see it all over the world. It's just a kind of hands resting on the knees or thighs. There should be a sense since we're coming out of a busy, active kind of sense of stillness, settling, but not rigidity. So we say uptight, but I mean upright, but not uptight. And that's a good guide. And then maybe if you depending on what your posture is like or your experience is like, just to to lengthen your spine a little bit. So some of us are used to a little bit of this, especially these days with the computer. So just have a sense that a little angel came along and just pulled your tiny hairs up here and just went like and that will automatically roll your shoulders back a little bit and you can feel your back is strong and you know um, powerful but your front is soft and open so that's a nice dichotomy chin kind of parallel to the floor and because we're doing an awareness style of practice you can just keep your eyes open with a soft downward gaze it's uh, you see lots of Buddhas with this gaze. Sometimes it's called a half, half-lidded gaze, just um, and sometimes it's called seeing without looking. There's a feeling of just being aware, but not really active with the visual field. So you can drop the gaze to a point about four to six feet on the floor in front of you if you have that space. If you're sitting in a chair and you can not lean back on the chair, that's ideal so that you, you know, um, have your independent strength. Yeah. If, it's, if you have back issues, of course, you can lean back. And um, at any point, if you feel uncomfortable, you can just shift your posture and take a fresh start. So um, we're kind of a middle way school between a very hard approach to just don't move and the kind of like very loose approach of just sit, do whatever you want. So there's a, a nice tautness and crispness to this posture. And then having established that, second Part of the practice is to lightly place your attention on your breathing, and um, just mix your attention and awareness with the breath. It's a very um, organic kind of process, and it's based on feeling the breath. So you don't have to hyperconceptualize the breath. You are breathing, right? Everybody breathing? Let us know if you're not. Okay, and just feel that. Uh-huh. Okay. Whew breath going in and out of your body. There's no need to elongate the breath or, um, you know, try to create some kind of special breathing. That's a different practice. In this case, the natural breath and just that becomes the, the object of your attention. And the third instruction is uh, you may notice either one second in 10 seconds in five minutes in that you're thinking about um, your PhD dissertation. You're thinking about the uh, falafel sandwich you ate for lunch today. You're thinking about your family history, you know, myriad thoughts arise and with attached to all kinds of feelings. But in this case, we just uh, gently label the thinking. Thinking, just say thinking. And then bring your attention back to the breath. So you'll be coming back. The exercise is recognizing and returning, the two R's, okay? You recognize, and then you return your attention to the present. Okay, if you need to shift your posture at some point, you can. And uh, if you get caught up, just remember the uh, instruction, just take a light touch and come on back. So we'll just sit together and then... Then I'm going to talk to Patty. If you'd like to stretch, you please do. So I'd like to read a short passage from the book, Creativity Spirituality and Making a Buck to give us a framework, Patty, to, to talk about. Okay. And uh it's a chapter on joining heaven and earth. It's really the frame for the whole journey. In this book, we're exploring the process of creating a vision for our lives and making it happen. There are many ways to talk about manifesting our vision, but one classic form is the notion of joining heaven and earth. In many Asian cultures, some European cultures and the Shambhala teachings I studied, joining heaven and earth is presented as the responsibility of leadership in particular and of human beings in general. Heaven represents opening our minds, expanding our horizons, and envisioning possibilities. Earth represents being practical, grounded, and mastering all the tiny details of life. When heaven and earth are joined or synchronized, we can experience harmony and prosperity. If we look through the lens of heaven and earth, we can often see when and how our grand schemes go off the trail and into the weeds. Sometimes we have big visions, big plans, and all our moves are lined up and ready to go. Then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, we don't have the right circumstances, the right help, the right resources, the right amount of money, the right weather, the pandemic, you name it. Our heaven, our vision was so clear and so good and so right, but we've literally and figuratively run aground. We've crashed into earth and suddenly our lofty dream turns into a challenging one maybe even a nightmare. In these cases, we may temporarily connect with the heaven principle, but we lose our connection with the earth. However, sometimes we're so efficient, so capable, so much in control of the details of our life, but something is missing. The whole enterprise starts to feel hollow and meaningless. In this case, we don't seem to have a clear vision. There's no big picture. We're simply operating to get our ever-growing to-do list accomplished. But what's it all for? What's the meaning? In this case, we've conquered earth but lost heaven. When I teach Buddhism in Japan these days, I often stay in a hotel that on a clear day has a view of Mount Fuji. Even though the mountain is more than 50 miles away with its snow-capped peak, it seems to penetrate and sometimes even dominate the surrounding and intense imagery of a wildly urbanized Tokyo. I like to see Mount Fuji because it reminds me of the vast and unobstructed sense of heaven of the open and clear quality of the Buddhist teachings and the reset button we can always push to allow ourselves a more spacious and open state of mind. It's helpful to periodically connect with the heaven principle, however we can access it. Dear Patty,
2: what
1: what is your heaven?
2: Oh, um, well, the thing that, like, top of mind when you were reading that was um, the way that my teacher, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, talks about spaciousness and how we can connect with it. And um, it's by gazing at the sky. And so whenever I want to have some experience of, of or taste of heaven... All I need to do is look at the
1: sky. So, Wangyal, does he present that sky gazing as sort of a heaven principle? Is there is is that word ever used?
2: You know, he does. He doesn't actually talk about it as a heaven principle. I suppose that's just a connection that I've made. Mm-hmm. That. Um, When I'm feeling too tight in myself, you know, kind of like too turned in on myself, to lacking in connection to vision or something greater, that that is a way that I can reconnect.
1: And can you tell us a little about sky gazing as a practice? It's a very famous Tibetan practice.
2: Um, yes, although I, well, I can only tell you this much about it. And I would say I don't, I don't do it in any sort of formal sense um, when I'm doing this, but I, I, especially I think living in, or maybe I'll come at this from a, from a different space, if that's okay, David, um, that one of the things that Tenzin Wangyal talks about a lot is um, using different elements connecting with different elements in nature as a way of um, finding something that we may need um, at any given moment. And, in you know, especially as someone who lives in New York City, which I'm guessing a lot of you probably do, sometimes it can seem like nature is uh, a bit of a challenge to find, um, but the sky is usually something that we can see in the city, um, especially on a clear day when it, you know it's brilliantly blue. And so I would call my sky gazing practice an informal sky gazing practice. I mean, that's something Rinpoche talks a lot about too, the difference between formal and informal practice. So um, really it just consists of, as I was saying before, if I find that I'm like really constricted, uh, that doing even a few minutes of staring at the sky can be um, incredibly opening.
1: You know, Trungpa Rinpoche used to talk about mixing mind with space, that you have a sense of your mind mixing, and, and he emphasized going with the out-breath, and dissolving mm. out into space, it's interesting because it's really quite an advanced meditation technique that he taught as a for the beginners. He never really taught um, actually Shamatha Vipassana. He he was uh, teaching. He was calling it that, but it really had the um, uh, a flavor of Mahamudra meditation in it, which is just he would say out breath and just dissolve, mm. and gap, gap, and then the in breath happening by itself, and then out breath and dissolve. And gap, which is very much part of that uh, mixing the mind with space. So by visually connecting to that field, do you feel that your mind expands in some way?
2: A hundred percent.
1: Just by using the site.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I use it. Um, it's been so beneficial in my work mm. because, you know, at any given moment um, in the middle of a work day, some, you know, you get an email You've just had a meeting with someone and, um, and you get kind of tweaked. And, uh, it, when I'm feeling that, and then I need to go on to the next thing, but I don't want to carry that, um, that me into, uh, over oh, over to be photo, but I knew this would happen.
3: <laughs> this
2: is my cat, Shy. He's yeah. very lovely. Um, but we're going to put him on his way. But, um, uh, you know, if I don't want to carry that me into the next situation, that this, um, you know, doing that little bit of informal skygazing is a way to um, let go of it.
1: Yeah, wonderful. There's a great video, which I will, uh, Michael, if you remind us to share with the weekend participants of the skygazing practice. A, a, they, they show a series of some of the greatest lamas of the 20th century. Um, um, doing that, doing that practice, you just get a, you can sort of see the flavor of it. It's very expansive and very open. And um, of course, the trick is to not space out, mm. right? Cause that, and that's something we talk about a lot with beginning meditators. If you, if you're relating to that space element, which is a pacifying element and a, and a very, um, soothing and expansive element but you can get attached that feeling of that and then next thing you know it's four hours later and somebody's tapping you on the head and your building's on fire and you are sitting there yeah so how do you different differentiate between um, mixing the mind with space and spacing out what's the difference
2: wow great question um Well, I guess I would say uh, how I experience it is when I'm experiencing more um, or feeling more spacious, I'm more grounded in my body, Mm. you know, sort of more, I feel more, my whole being is more integrated. Mm. And when I'm spaced out, I am not in my, you know, I'm as far from my body as it's possible to be. Yeah.
1: Great. Great. So there's actually body sensations are alive during that?
2: Very much so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, body is a sort of interesting domain. And in in the heaven and earth um, paradigm, heaven is mind and earth is body. So at an individual level, we talk about joining heaven and earth. It's synchronizing mind and body at a a personal level. Um, So... Do you have body practices that you do with Tencent Mongul? Aren't there practices that involve um, physical exercises and so forth?
2: Yeah. The ones that, yes, there are the ones that uh, are taught most frequently. Uh, it's a series of five practices that's called Salong. And they're all seated movements where you're um, synchronizing a movement and breath. Yeah. And it's to move the energy in the body. And I've, um, I don't do those so much for my daily practice, but I do use them from time to time and I find those really beneficial too.
1: Powerful too, right?
2: Very powerful.
1: Yeah. Um, and tell us, tell us how long have you been, uh, practicing with Tenzin Monjo Rinpoche? How did that, how did that come about?
2: Ah, that came about because of you, <laughs> more <Maggie. laughs> So for, for any of those, or for those of you that may have known um, Nodi for a little while, you've probably experienced this extraordinary ability he has to kind of lead you somewhere that you didn't realize you wanted and needed to go. And um, when he was uh, talking about when we first met earlier and describing how we uh, were working on these creative projects, so he would come to my office. Um, every week or two, and we'd have you know long, juicy, creative discussions. And then he'd suddenly change the subject, and he'd say, "So let's talk about your spiritual life. You know, like, what are you up to these days? What are you studying?" And he'd he'd ask really um, insightful questions. And then he'd always close with a zinger, which is, "And how's that working for you?"
1: <laughs> I, I did.
2: You did. You did. You would always hit me with, and how's that working for you? And it was so helpful because at a certain point, I realized it wasn't actually working for me. Because, you know, up until um, having those conversations with you, I had sort of been, I guess you would call it kind of a spiritual grazer. You know, I'd, I'd sampled lots of different things and, and I'd spent some um, time doing serious study and In one or two areas but i kind of hadn't found my place and um then david started you know very skillfully introducing different buddhist books and you know would tell me to check out certain teachers when they came to town and uh, finally at one point i realized oh i would really like to find a a root teacher and so i went to david and said okay you got me to this point who do you think my teacher should be? And without hesitation, you said, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche. You should check him out. And I think something like three or four weeks later, he was teaching at the open center and uh, went to that workshop. He walked in the room and um, I've been, I, I sort of knew when he walked in the room that, oh, this is, this is the person and that was, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, I guess. No. So oh, I know. Time flies.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, and we should say, and especially since we have special guests here tonight, that part of the logic of it, not that it was logical in like Spock, but there was <laughs> a certain thread of logic to totally. it, was yeah. that you clearly, at least from my perspective, expressed interest in the Buddhist view. And you had that kind of um, uh, cu- curiosity about that. But you also had studied the shamanic tradition with our friend Alberto Yodo, who's here tonight. And he was your uh, sh- shamanic teacher. And so I thought, well, Tenzin Wangil brings those two threads together. That's really that's um, that's true. Tenzin Wangil is from the Bunpo tradition of, of um, Tibet. He's also a Buddhist lama, but he's you know the Bunpos have more of a, the kind of direct link to the shaman tradition of Tibet, the pre-Buddhist, uh, uh, you know, shamanic tradition. So I just thought, well, you're a hybrid plant, you're a yellow tomato. I'll, <laughs> you should go where the yellow tomatoes grow. You know, and um, wow, 16 years ago, Patty, that's just that's just you're, you're you're that's stunning. So you've been studying with him for 16 years. Yeah. Whoa. And how's that working out for you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I um I think pretty well. <laughs> I think really well
1: actually. Yeah. He he um is still around? Is he teaching online? How do we how do we access him if we want to?
2: Yes, he is um he's not teaching online right this moment but he'll be back I think in about a month um because he's been On a sabbatical. Uh, And he was meant to be doing this um, entire pandemic year as a sabbatical, but he was starting just as the pandemic hit. And he realized that uh, his students needed him. And so he has been uh, coming out of uh, retreat, teaching online for a while, and then going back into retreat.
1: And are you, is Hay House publishing his books now? Or did you cross over that line where you became his publisher as well as his student?
2: Uh, yes, we've published three books together in the last, I think, six years or so.
1: What are the titles?
2: Well, the the most recent, actually, four books. The most recent is uh, Spontaneous Creativity. So, oh, interested to get, people. To get him yeah. on the
1: podcast.
2: Oh, he definitely should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. and, and then also awakening the sacred body, uh, which is uh, based on the salong practice, um, and then awakening the luminous mind, which is uh, all about vision as mind, and um, the true source of healing, which is the that elemental practice or practices that I was talking about earlier. Yeah.
1: So you have brought those into the. To the world, you've you've midwifed his uh, his teaching. You've done that for so many people, Patty. So um, I think it's you know when things happen, there are, um, who the mother is is usually pretty obvious, but who the midwife is is not always on the front page and 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 um, kind of highlighted. So you've you've been a midwife, if I could just borrow that concept. For so many powerful communications from people who've been really training and practicing, and want to communicate with the world, and you—you you enable that. You help pull them out into that. And for example, there's another second example. As long as Alberto and Marcella are here together, that you have a book coming out from Marcella, who I think a lot of our community knows because she's been coming to the uh, to the the uh, Tuesday night class. So what what's that book about?
2: Uh, so that on uh, well it's very much Marcella's story, which is quite dramatic and beautiful, and uh, it's also about uh, as a medicine woman walking the healing path and uh, a kind of reclamation of the divine feminine Oh, so lots of juicy juicy things going on there
1: yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it I'm about two weeks. Is it is it published yet? or Are we still in? No,
2: pre- it's uh, prepub. Uh, June, Marcella, I think that's right.
3: <laughs> what a gift that you're both uh, mentioning my book, Awakening Your Inner Shaman. I just realized that we have two words in common with your book, David, Awakening, and then mine is um, a woman's journey. Of self-discovery through the medicine wheel. So here, the wheel. You also yeah. have the wheel in your right. um, first book. So um, yeah. very suspicious coincidence. And well, uh, yeah, this, this is coming out in May, but you can pre-order yeah. in Amazon.
1: <laughs> okay, we're gonna put a we're gonna put out a little plug for it. Um, but I have a copy of it that you sent. It's okay just to to send that out to our mailing list, right? The book as as it is. is that okay?
3: No, no, no. <laughs> it's your private copy,
1: David. Okay, you know it's so such an interesting time we live in. For I heard a a talk Patty in at um, South by Southwest uh, on intellectual property that it's over basically. Intellectual mm-hmm. property has another five or ten or fifteen or twenty years, and then after that, it's going to be impossible to track it. So make the money, Marcella, while you can make it. Okay. <laughs>
3: Yes, and I must say um, <clears throat> I must honor my midwife, Patty Gift. So yeah.
1: much,
3: Patty, thank you.
1: Thank you. I, I wonder if you could share a little bit of what it was like to work with her. Would you feel like doing that?
3: Well, um a, a true gift because um in the beginning my book was only my story many years ago, and like Patty said, a very dramatic story. And it really there there was a point in which I outgrew my story I just want to burn my story and bury it And like who wants to read my story anyways I didn't I, it got me it made me so bored um so but then I was able to bring the teachings uh of the shamanic teachings like what got me out of that drama and and I have been teaching shamanism for so many years now and And so I could now weave in other people's stories, my students' Mm -hmm. stories and other people and make it very rich and speak about a mythology and a cosmology that is from the Andes, but it's not so separated from the cosmology of the Himalayas. I mean, spirituality is really one. Um, So, yeah, so it's, it's very rich in that way. And what was so beautiful about working with Patty is that, she saw my book many years ago and and she kind of like believed that there was um, a book to be born mm-hmm. because I had the opposite experience. I showed my book to another publisher um, about seven years ago and she she was very much a feminist and she said, who wants to read it? book of a victim, disempowered woman, whatever, that then <laughs> falls in love with his her guru and so forth. <laughs> and she just said, your your book is crap, you know. Oh <laughs> so anyways, that was the best thing she could have sent to me because I'm my warrioress came came alive from from that um criticism and I said no. My book, there's something here. So I showed it to Patty and Patty believed in me. Yeah. And, and then we, we really, um, I grew the book to what it is today, like a, a, a teaching that so many people can relate to. So it's not just about me, but so many people can relate to. And Patty was just really gracious all along. And it, she had such a, her uh, compassionate, kind heart really show. As how she gave me feedback again and again on how we can make it something very valuable for so many people, something universal. So a true midwife. Yes. Thank you.
1: Wonderful. Thank you for that. And and um, Patty, have you pub- published Alberto's books, any of his books, or he has a big, big time publisher somewhere?
2: Uh, yeah, I've published just a few. Oh,
1: ah, you have?
2: <laughs> all, all of them? Uh, not quite all of them, but wow. uh, but we he and I first met when I was working at one of those big time publishers, um, that which was before even before you and I met. Right, I know. And so we we did a book together. I guess it was probably twenty years ago, maybe a little bit more, which was the first book that we published together, and that was through Random House. And then um, we actually. Ended up at Hay House independently of each other, yeah. Uh, but reconnected there, and wow. Now done lots more together. So,
1: you know, they say it's a small world until it's your turn to either paint it or clean it.
0: <laughs> but you, weird, you,
1: weird. so you have you, you have a profound connection with. Uh, now this is a very CSM kind of story because not only are you friends, you're very good and dear friends you're working together and and you're also bringing out a kind of spiritual uh you know tradition that they both represent so that puts you you know it's um you're in an interesting position it it, it reminds me a little bit of our friend stefan reckschaffen who i said is the lemonade mm. has the lemonade stand in the middle of the new age uh, uh you know festival and everybody sort of passes through there he's he's reason a lot of us know each other too but you're sneakier than he is you you, you're just um finding these lights and you're putting a spotlight on them and you're helping them to manifest their vision so i'm going to ask you a tough question patty is that okay okay? let's Um, say (laughs) okay well you don't have to and we're very sweet at dharma moon nobody has to answer anything they don't want to they don't have to you know we're we're not into that hard that hard thing let's say you were going to write a book what would that be
2: Actually, people ask this a lot and yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, over the years, many, many, many people have said, when are you going to write a book? Also, um, you know, I've been to any number of uh, soothsayers, you know, whether it's a palm reader or a tarot card reader, or psychic, uh, goes along with the job and, um, and they all say, someday you're going to write a book. Oh. I have never had that aspiration I genuinely enjoy working on other people's material. Um, yeah. it just doesn't, you know, my left to my own devices, me in a blank page.
1: Yeah. Not, not happening.
2: Not no, no, not I don't find that as as interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I can I can connect with that because it's sort of like being a producer. You know, I produce a lot of other people's music like Krishna Das and mm-hmm. a, a lot of other people. And you know, you it's interesting when they bring their, you know, array, their thing, and then you are the person who's helping to prune it and frame it. I, I, I get what that feels like. That's a great thing. But I have a title for your book. Do you know what it could be? It's
2: probably some sort of play on gift, but I'm- No, I'm not, no, no. no getting, it's not? We haven't even, we haven't okay. even got
1: to that yet. Crea- <laughs> it's called Creativity, Spirituality, and I'm Making, making a, book.
2: a Book. Oh, oh, oh my God.
1: <laughs> Make, making a book yeah what do you think um, and it, it would be as told to noji
2: oh, that could be fun yeah. um but if with my publisher's hat on, I would probably say to me yeah. um too close to somebody else's book title, so not not good for like the, the Amazon search,
1: yeah so. <laughs> Well, so you, even though now you do, you raised an issue that is um, notable. I have hung out with you with more uh, seers, psychics, uh, intuitives. You are just loaded for bear with uh, people who, who have that, um, those kind of gifts. And it's almost like um, knowing a gypsy and all, everybody in their family plays a musical instrument. You know, everybody you know has some kind of intuitive gift. So why do you think they're all saying that you're going to write a book then?
2: Oh my God! I honestly never thought about it. They're, they're supposed to know. They're supposed to know, right? Well, they—I mean, they don't. They're not a hundred percent right.
1: Well, let, let's let's pivot on that. What okay. do you think? What do you think about the future? Do you think you can know the future? No. So, what are the, all those people doing?
2: I. Um... Boy, you this does feel like a tough question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mean to interrupt your livelihood either, but. Um,
2: yeah. You know. Yeah. That's exactly where my I, mind right. was. No, I, um, do I think you can tell the future? Not in a black and white sense. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I do think, I mean, I've seen this with you, Noji. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you said like we, you and I have a particular kind of connection and, um, When we're out in the world together, um, whether it's something specific to me or other people in our orbit, like you tune into, I guess we could say, like the field, um, you know, something, and you will come out with, you know, like you'll know something. We're at a restaurant and we're being served by someone, and you'll know something about that person's life that you've just pulled out of thin, thin air, seemingly. So I think whatever you're tapping into, these people have the ability to tap into that same field and they're getting information that can apply in the future, but I don't, think, I don't see them as telling the future in that black and white sense. Right. Of you know, like unequivocally, this thing is going to happen.
1: Yeah. So you know, some people would say, and it'd be great to get Alberto and Marcella in in this conversation at some point too. Totally that it's like a <laughs> quantum field. And that our notion of past, present, and future is kind of um a linear superimposition upon the quantum experience. And so you can you know, they do say, as you know, you you did a book with um it's Holiness Karmapa, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the future look, is now. Look
1: at, well, kaboom, look at that.
3: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: ah, there it is. <laughs> so the future is now. Holy mackerel.
2: That was actually the first book that I bought at Hay House.
1: What? That you brought into Hay Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah and what was the point of that what was he saying what does that mean
2: he was saying that the future is you know it's it's that thing of i never get this thing right but this saying right but you know the idea of um the only time we have is this moment you know it's, mm-hmm. you can't have the past and you can't you can't be in the past really and you can't be in the future so all you've got is Oh, I
1: see. So it's emphasizing just get with the with the now. Yeah. Boy, now is so popular in the spiritual world, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Be here now.
1: Well, the power of now. Now this. Now that. You know. So you know we. If you um you I don't know if you've ever talked to uh, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche about the fourth moment. Have you ever talked about the fourth moment? No. Why don't you ask him? Tell him David and said, "What about the fourth moment, Rinpoche?" Okay. But in a nutshell, there's past, present, and the future, and the fourth moment.
2: Are you going to tell us more than that? Or are you going to leave it? No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Even now, you cannot hold now. It's yeah. it's it's never now. It's it's like, like whoop, there it went. You know, so the fourth moment is that sense of um, you know, they say the karmapas, you probably have heard this, but um they're um knower of the three times. Have you ever heard that expression? Oh, omniscient karmapa. knower of the three times, which is referring to past, present, and future. They know, Buddha is supposed to know reality completely with beyond the temporal display. So they can, in a way, have a very accurate sense of future and and particular past. God, they can really see that, where you came from. Um, but without the Buddha's omniscient eye, you know, with that complete development... Um, the rest of us are guessing as far as I can tell, you know?
2: I know, I certainly am.
1: So. Yeah, Yeah, and so am I. And I just, I'm a playful person, so I don't mind taking a guess and I don't even remember what I said sometimes, you know? So um, if it's helpful to somebody, that's the mark. I think playing with those kind of energies is neither here nor there, but, you know, it should be in service of the person's journey, right? You would agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, very um, much so. Some people trip around on that kind of stuff, right?
2: Totally.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um So you're fantastic. Let's just call it, call it like it is. You're an amazing person, Patty. You're
2: gonna make me blush, Naji.
1: No <laughs> yeah. You know, and and you you've really. So you know, I wonder if you if you could write the book that's similar. Was it Ospensky? Meetings with Remarkable Men. Who wrote that book? I think it was one of Gurdjieff's students. Does anybody know?
2: I know the book, but I can't think of the author.
1: It, it might be interesting for you to consider writing about all the unusually gifted people that you've worked with mm. and a fisheye lens into that world. You know, you have had, you know, we don't always see our unique perspective, but, but looking at somebody else's life, you can see you've had an unusual, uh, you know, um, succession of high level teachers that you've had, you know, did you do any work with the Dalai Lama?
2: Not, not personally, but through a Hay House connection, I was, gosh, I think this is probably 10 years ago or more now, but I was able to go to India to see him and be in a very small group with him there. And um, I think the, the most incredible thing that happened at that, uh i think it was like a three-day session was one morning i was sitting in the front row and and he wasn't sitting on a high throne He, he was sitting on a kind of like a chair level throne and we were all seated on the floor and so i was maybe two feet away from him and just totally unwrapped and at one point he asked me a question and I was so startled that my mind went absolutely blank. I don't even remember what I said, but he, he just, you know, with that amazing gaze of his just looked at me and said, I think if you meditate more, you will be happier. Whoa. Yeah. It
1: was Oh my just, God. Um, yeah. He out of the blue just said that to you. Yeah. He never says stuff like that to people. That's a, I don't think that's a common thing because he could say it to everybody, right? Yeah. He could just go walking down the line, the reception <laughs> line saying, I think if you meditate more, you'll be happier. I think if you meditate more, you'll be happier. So that was a specific blast.
2: Yeah, it, it It totally was. And it wasn't, you know, at that point, I'd already been studying with Rinpoche for a number of years. I'd seen other llamas, but it hadn't, it hadn't really landed. You know, I hadn't really. um, I just hadn't connected, I guess, with the practice uh, in a very deep way up until that point. And um, and when I got back from that, that trip, it was like, okay, you know, I guess I had to go however many thousands of miles away and and hear it from a llama of that level to like really get the message.
0: Yeah,
1: and that did that uh, actually instigate a deeper engagement with practice for you?
2: It did, and I was super fortunate because it coincided with Tenzin Rinpoche's, um, with his creation of a secular meditation program, um, which is called the Three Doors. And uh, it's a two and a half year meditation program that really I mean, I have told all my friends, like, it remade me from the inside out. You know, my, it was like my life pre-Three Doors, and, um, and then by the time I graduated, it was like going from black and white to technicolor. Mm-hmm. Because it just, you know, my, my um, experience of everything was so, was so changed from, from doing that. So, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Wow. Uh, Astonishing that, that uh, there are so many stories about some of these great lamas that are um, when you think about it, you think, well, of course, what did he say to you? But the impact that it had, the transmission aspect of it, um, and the fact that it kind of just merged with your life stream in in that kind of way, that's, that's real cities. That's real powers there and very ordinary at the same time. So um, and you have a picture of you and the Dalai Lama together, right? Don't you? I think I've seen it. Yeah. That.
2: Yeah. That was from that, from that journey. And yeah. And it was interesting because up until that point I'd, i you know, for whatever reason, I think many people feel that way. I'd always felt very connected to him, even though that is not the tradition in which I, I sure. you know, study and that I inhabit most of the time. But um, yeah, I, I just, feel such a strong and warm, um, and so much respect.
1: And do you have a picture of yourself with Karmapa?
2: Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't think that we were photographed together. It's okay, we'll
1: we'll Photoshop it, we can do it.
2: Okay, all right, awesome.
1: (laughs) And and do you have a picture of you and Alberto?
2: Uh, Many, thankfully, And, and some from many, many, many years ago. It was funny, when was it, Alberto, like last year or the year before that? you sent me a photo uh, and asked me, is this you? Um, (laughs) It was, I think, probably from the late 90s. And we were on a glacier in Peru um, because I used to travel to Peru with him every year, which was so, I mean, that was such an amazing, amazing time in my life and an amazing experience with him. And, you know, really solidified our friendship in a very 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 deep way
1: well so patty here's the book are you ready yeah it's a series of pictures of you with these uh great uh, teachers and the title is who are these guys with patty
2: <laughs> uh but there but but there are many great ladies or women i should say uh,
1: okay who, who who tell us about it
2: well louise hay
1: ah how could she's she's got her name over the title uh,
2: Hey House.
1: Jeez. Hey House, yes. Could you, could, yeah. I mean, I think, could you share a little about about Louise Hay, who's kind of your mentor in a way, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'll start with the story of how I ended up at Hay House, which is, I mean, um, even I who believe and when David and I were doing kind of the pre check, um, I said something about, you know, I'm not really this kind of person, but I'm going to use the phrase, uh, you know, um, the universe is telling me something and he said patty you are that person (laughs) (laughs) you do say these things um anyway uh i had well, it's it's interesting because this i this i had this thought when you were reading from the book about when someone comes crashing down to earth and uh i had this was probably 13 years ago a little bit more than that i had taken a job that i thought was my dream job. And I was at this company for about a year and a half. And I realized it was actually my nightmare. And, uh, and I thought, I'm going to stick this out, because maybe it'll become my dream job. And then I got to the point where I could do everything that was being asked of me, and I was even more unhappy. And uh, I had a friend visiting from Colorado, actually someone Oh my God, Niji! You're you're you show up in this story too. It was someone that David had connected me to, uh, who was um, Kelly Notaris, who uh, also worked in publishing. Kelly and I did not know each other, but she assisted a workshop David offered, and um, David said, "I think you and Patty need to meet. It will there's something in there for the two of you." I helped her get a job at a publisher outside of New York because she wanted to leave New York. Then she came back to New York. We're having lunch. I'm telling her I'm not happy. And she says, so where do you think you wanna go? Because you know, you've worked all these other places. Um, and I said, well, I'm really interested in Hay House, but I don't wanna move to California. And a week later, I got a phone call from a friend saying, I just met with the head of Hay House and they wanna open an office in New York. And they asked me who they should hire and i said you are you interested (laughs) and uh yeah and that was kind of this time of year and then about two and then i talked to the ceo and he said great i want to hire you there's just one caveat you have to meet with louise and uh you know if she gives you the thumbs up then we're good to go And so she came to New York and we met for lunch and we sat next to each other and held hands and told each other stories. And I was telling her about, um, talking to her about the Dalai Lama and the Karmapa. And she, even though that wasn't her, you know, bag, so to speak, she was so respectful. And, uh, and it, we just um, hit it off. And so I got the job.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/slash/be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. dot com/slash/be here now.